So we are continuing in our study of Leviticus, and we do, in fact, come to an incredibly unusual passage this morning. But I hope, especially as we read through the passage, it's going to be a very long reading. Listen for the repetitions. Listen, listen for the notes. This is poetry. Listen for the repetitions as we read through uh, this very lengthy passage. And I think that that will help us to get to the very heart of, of what this glorious passage is about. So our complimentary passage is Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. Read verses 47 to 50. And then we will turn to Leviticus chapter nine and chapter eleven, begin in verse nine and read to the end of the chapter. So with your Bibles open to Matthew's Gospel chapter thirteen, in honor of God's word, please stand. Matthew thirteen, beginning in verse forty seven, hear God's word. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Leviticus chapter 11, beginning in verse 9, and continuing in the reading of God's word. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. Everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that has not fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the water and of the living creatures that are in the waters is detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh. You shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that has not fins and scales is detestable to you. And these you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the night hawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the cormorant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stalk, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. All winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Yet among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have jointed legs above their feet with which to hop on the ground. Of them you may eat the locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper of any kind. But all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. And by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening, and whoever carries any part of their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every animal that parts the hoof but is not cloven-footed or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches them shall be unclean. And all that walk on their paws among the animals that go on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And he who carries their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. They are unclean to you. And these are unclean to you among the swarming things that swarm on the ground. The mole rat, the mouse, the great lizard of any kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the lizard, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that swarm. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until the evening. And anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean, whether it is an article of wood or a garment or a skin or a sack, any article that is used for any purpose. 
It must be put into water, and it shall be unclean until the evening. Then it shall be clean. And if any of them falls into any earthenware vessel, all that is in it shall be unclean, and you shall break it. Any food in it that could be eaten on which water comes shall be unclean, and all drink that could be drunk from every such vessel shall be unclean. And everything on which any part of their carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether oven or stove, it shall be broken in pieces. They are unclean and shall remain unclean for you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern holding water shall be clean. But whoever touches a carcass in them shall be unclean. And if any part of their carcass falls upon seed grain that is to be sown, it is clean. But if water is put on the seed and any part of their carcass falls on it, it is unclean to you. And if any animal which you may eat dies, whoever touches its carcass shall be unclean until the evening, and whoever eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening, and whoever carries the carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable, it shall not be eaten, Whether it, whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all fours, whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground you shall not eat, for they are detestable. You shall not make yourselves detestable with any swarming thing that swarms, and you shall not defile yourselves with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall, therefore, be holy, for I am holy. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. Thus far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, as we have read, even more we long for your light. Give to us your spirit. Speak to us by that spirit, your Holy Spirit, through the words of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Please be seated. For 400 years, the children of Israel have been in increasingly harsh bondage. The bondage has gotten so harsh that the Pharaoh will take the women's sons and kill them because they're the potential of a future uprising. The bondage has gotten so hard that when the people complain, Pharaoh says, I'm going to add to your work. And finally, God delivers his people out from a mighty, with a mighty and outstretched hand, from a land of bondage, a land of slavery, a land of death, a land in which a mother had to relinquish her baby boy so that the authorities could take it away and kill it. That land that was dark. And they're given this promise. There's a land flowing with milk and honey. Persevere in the wilderness. 
God is with you. He'll bring you to the land. He'll bring you home to the land of promise. And that land of promise is such a beautiful imagery that runs throughout the Scripture that even it becomes our own as we talk about crossing the Jordan River as the saint goes across to the celestial city. That promised land. It's what kept everybody's feet stepping one in front of the other. When the way got hard, when the Amalekites were attacking, when the scorpions were in the wilderness, when the serpents came, when the sun was beating down, when it felt hard to press on, the hope was a land of promise. A place flowing with milk and honey. A place in which they dwelt secure from their enemies. A place in which they were at peace with one another and at peace with God. A place in which they streamed up to Mount Zion to declare His name. While He miraculously promises that when they go on their journey to Mount Zion, He personally will protect their farmland from encroachment. This is the land. This is the hope. What did you think of the description of it we just read? Where is my milk and honey, people? Where is this peace? Where is this tranquility? This land is absolutely chock full from sky to water, from coast to coast, chock full of corruption, of uncleanness, of things that cause you to distinguish between this and that all the time. You heard all those way more birds, I promise you, than I can ever identify. I had no idea there were about 800 different species of owl, apparently. This land that is filled with uncleanness. Things that contaminate us. Things that if we touch them, we're unclean till evening. Things that if their carcass needs to be removed from our field, We're unclean till evening. Things that if they fall off our ceiling into the cooking pot or even the stove, we have to break it because it's unclean forever. This land of promise. So as we look at these laws, I want you to see, first off, the obvious, which is the corruption that is here. The corruption that's in this land. But then the second I want to see, as we come through this text, as we come to this text, the grace that is here. So, I don't think anybody needs to inform you that the world around us is jacked. The world around us is broken. The world around us is full of evil 
It is full of sin. It is full of injustice. It is full of all kinds of satanic venom that comes from my own heart but certainly permeates our society. The way that we treat one another in our society itself is a demonstration that we're broken. And that's certainly what you get a picture of here in this text. You get a picture of a world that's broken. You get a picture of a promised land that's full of corruption. There's no getting away from that. This land of milk and honey, as we read through this, all these things that are detestable and gross and don't touch it and don't... All of these things that are part of the corruption of this land of promise goes on to affect you and me. Verse 34, any food in it that could be eaten on which water comes shall be unclean. All drink that could be drunk from every such vessel shall be unclean. Everything on which any part of their carcass falls shall be unclean. Did you hear all of the stuff in there that's unclean? And the uncleanness that is out there absolutely makes uncleanness in my home. And isn't that really the eternal struggle of of living as a Christian? How can we be in the world but not of it? How can we navigate as pilgrims and sojourners in the place that God has planted us and told us to plant and, and, and buy land and thrive? <laughs> how, 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 do we, how do we do these two things at the same time? And certainly here, we see this corruption that is in nature all around them and the impact that it has on them. And I think at least one thing we can learn from that, one thing we can take away from that, is the promised land is not heaven. And that sounds so mundane. That sounds so obvious. The promised land is not heaven. Abraham never owned land in the land of promise, because he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We are not looking to a particular piece of geography, but rather we are looking to what that piece of geography points us towards, which is the new heavens and the new earth. Communion with God, Eden exploding and taking over all the earth. But in all of that, Doesn't that corruption that's outside contaminate you and me? How many of your arguments, how many of your disagreements are over things that are completely removed from what's staring you in the face? Disagreements over things that you and I have no influence on, and yet we will go to war with one another over but, but it does emphasize, as we look at this promised land, this promised land that's so full of corruption, it emphasizes kind of that groaning. I mean, can you hear the promised land groaning? Can you hear the promised land itself groaning under all this corruption? 
corrupt birds and fish and bugs and corruption here and corruption there. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the whole creation groans, longing for the day in which the sons of God will be revealed. And beloved, the danger of finding our permanent home or our identity or our struggles or our strifes, our conflicts in this corruption is very much there. It's a call when we look at the world around us to see this is not home. This is not where I'm going. This is not what I hope will be forever. But secondly, there's in this an amazing grace. And there's a grace that I think does get to the issue of how these things that are going to be consumed by fire, these things that are the created order that God is going to do away with, these things at the same time are the place of our kingdom. They're the place that Jesus Christ has declared, this is the kingdom of God. It is in your midst. This is the place. These are the people. This is the society. This is the kingdom. This is where God is active. And you see that in even these unclean things. Because if you'll notice one thing about these unclean things, is the land is full of them. It's not just fishermen over in the coast. It's not just fishermen in Galilee. It's people that encounter any of this numerous list. And think about how that is a means of grace. To the tender conscience. To the one who says, I see as I'm fishing in the creek, A little boy, eight years old, he's got his stick and he's got his hook and he's fishing in a creek. And he says, whoa, that one's clean and that one's unclean. And I can't touch what's unclean. The mother preparing dinner for the evening. And some weird bug flies in and lands in the soup. And she says, it's unclean. In obedience to God. Nobody's around here looking. Nobody's watching over my shoulder. Nobody saw the bug. (laughs) But God said it was unclean. All the various areas of common life that God gives you and me these little opportunities to choose Him. Do you see that? Do you see how all of that... Looking at a four-footed bug that has joints above the knee and deciding whether it is a locust or a bald locust or an orange locust. I don't know. Deciding what species of locust it is and whether or not I'm allowed to eat it or not. What care the tender, conscientious follower of God could take in every moment of his life. And also consider how impossible it would be to live life without being pretty often declared unclean. When the corruption is all around us, the uncleanness is going to affect us. 
as, as diligent as we may be, that uncleanness is going to have an impact on us. And it's unclean until evening. And I think in that there's such a beautiful picture. If I could just, if I could just draw your eye to this picture that, that I, I think is just so beautiful. Unclean until evening. Because you remember the whole point of the Holy of Holies and the candlestick was the light of God. The point of the altar burning all night long was a statement to the people of God that He is awake. He's there. He's in their midst. And this uncleanness that every child of God wrestles with, this uncleanness, this guilty conscience that every single child of God wrestles with. You can lay down your head in peace. You can go to sleep knowing that your father has declared himself at peace and knowing that he is ever watchful. He is ever there with all his mercy and all his grace. And so this land that's full of corruption and that inevitably is going to have tons and tons and tons of people being ceremonially, ceremonially unclean often throughout their own lives is itself an example of you and me. You and me corrupted by the world around us. You and me bringing that toxicity in and discovering that maybe even the toxicity may begin right here. You and me with all of the corruption, but knowing, beloved, that Jesus Christ has said, lay your head down in peace. I have paid it all. I have made reconciliation. And so even these moments of wisdom, these moments of guilt, these moments in which you and I have to Make a stand for Jesus. Make a stand for Him. Even in those moments, they themselves are God's means of grace. God's means of encouragement. God's encouragement to stay the course. The last thing I want to bring to your attention. Think of all the kings that ever reigned in Israel. Think of all those kings. All those kings who knew because they had copied down the Pentateuch. They had copied out the law. All these kings who absolutely knew that the land itself, the bugs and critters in the land, everything from the sky to the waters, everything in this land, is a message of purity, of holiness, of Jehovah God, of protection, of reliance upon Him in the face of overwhelming fear and danger, of, of God is enough and I am holy and I am belonging to Him. Every single king. Think of how many of them saw that and turned their back saw that 
and turned away. Knew that. They'd been trained by the priests. They'd been raised in this. But they turned away. And beloved, that's a warning. It truly is. It's a warning to young people. It's a warning to adults. It's a warning that I think applies to every one of us at any given moment in any time that we are sitting under the Word. It's a warning that applies. Because, beloved, God set this up. And He set this world up with all of its corruption, with its distinctions between the clean and the unclean. So much so that Jesus can use what was common practice as a metaphor for the kingdom, for, for the final judgment. Do you notice what the fishermen were doing in Matthew? They were tossing out the bad. Every Israelite all over the land. <laughs> they were just doing what everybody has always done. It was all designed to point to Jesus. It was all designed to point to God. And to hear that message and to live in the face of that reality and to turn your back on it is a horrible, horrible place to be. And so I would encourage you, look at the uncleanness that is around us and that is in us. But also, beloved, see God's grace. See God's grace. That he has given to you and to me his word. He's given direction. And yes, you'll fail, but you'll not be unclean forever. You can lay your head down at night and you can sleep in peace. Knowing that your heavenly father loves you and is forgiven. And he's done so because he demanded from his son the horrible, Horrible price. To be declared unclean before God. What a, what a terrible declaration, don't you think? Don't you think maybe you'd hang your head in shame, the neighbors saw you, and you're unclean. They're not going to come around you. You're unclean. Jesus Christ himself became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for you and for me. Heavenly Father, even as we are reminded that this corruption shapes and influences and dirties us, So we are reminded that that corruption is washed away. That Jesus Christ has declared us cleansed. And that we can now be said to be clean. From top to bottom. Make us, Lord, your instruments of sharing and loving, spreading that peace in every arena that you've calls us to come into this week in Christ's name.